tough day? You have no idea. What did I do in my past life to deserve this? Maybe if I keep working hard, it will be better in the next one. Well, I wouldn't count on that. Maybe if I keep working harder, my life will be better in the next one. Have you ever said something like that before after a tough day? Whether you were sitting with a friend at the bar who was turning water into wine or not? Did you catch that? That was pretty cool, huh? Well, my name is Mike Curtis. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Trinity. I'm also the mission developer for Trinity's new South Naperville campus. And the reason you're seeing me here today is so that I can be connected with you as we're starting that new campus, uh, opening up worship in the, the coming months. So thank you for the honor of being able to enter into the word with you today. So as Nick said, we are in the second week of our series, Jesus Walks Into a Bar. And particularly today, we're entertaining the ideas associated with Hinduism. And the reason we say the ideas associated with Hinduism is because there may be a circumstance in which you find yourself in the company of a Hindu, or you may find yourself in the company of a person who believes some of the basics of Hinduism. For example, have you ever said this, what goes around, oh yeah, what goes around comes around. Have you ever said, well, karma might come back to bite you? Have you ever entertained the idea of practicing yoga? These are ideas that come from the world of Hinduism. And so as Nick said earlier, Jesus made some claims about religion in general that are very provocative when we're talking about in the world's scope of religions, what's true and what's not true. What happens to us when we die? Who determines the course of life and how life ends up for us? And if Jesus were to walk into a bar and run into a Hindu, someone practicing Hinduism outright, or someone who believes some of the basic tenets of Hinduism, what would he say? Well, first of all, we believe he would warmly approach that person, give them a handshake or a hug, and let them know that God loves them. They are loved. They are precious in his sight. And that we all have lives that were made for purpose and meaning. He would spend time conversing with that person warmly, showing him God's love in a practical, conversational way. So today, the idea for us to explain and entertain together is what is Hinduism in a nutshell if we run into the basic ideas associated with it? And if we run into someone who shares those beliefs, what might we say? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to entertain this subject, to explain the basics of a world religion that many of us just don't have a lot of experience with, and to talk about how if Jesus were, leading before, were going before us and leading us into a conversation where we were entertaining these ideas, these, this subject, that he would give us the words to speak, not only in the scriptures that we will explore together today, but in the guidance and the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit when the moment comes. So Heavenly Father, open our hearts so that we may see the faces of people who need to hear this good news and sometime in the future, hear it through us. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen and amen. Well, let's take a look at Hinduism. 
Now, reach back into the, the far reaches of the memory banks to middle school social studies class for just a moment. For some of us, it takes a little longer than others. That's okay. But what you would have learned about is the caste system in India. Uh, the nation of India is a huge nation, and its central religion is Hinduism. Worldwide, there are about 1 billion practicing Hindus, and in the United States, there's something like 2.2 million. So is it likely that we might run into one? Sure. It's more likely that we might run into someone who believes some of the basics of the faith. We're going to talk about both sides of that happenstance, and what would we do, and what would we say? But back in the days of, uh, of our 8th grade social studies class, we would have learned about the caste system in India. The caste system is like this. It basically has four social strata in it, one of which you're born into. You don't move between the social strata in your current life. You have to die to move to another social strata. So in this current life, you might be born at the top. You might be born a priest. Or one right under that would be the, the warrior class. You might be born one under that in the merchant class. Or you might be born one under that in the common workers or peasants class. But then you'll notice a fifth grouping up on the screen, which is under the caste system, outside it. These are people that are called untouchables. They are the outcasts. When you're born into one of the castes, you are born there for that life. And it takes dying in that current life in order to potentially move to another rung on the ladder. But what we'll talk about today is the idea that this is an arrangement Hindus would call dharma. It's cosmic order. It's exemplified by the caste system. Say dharma. Dharmic order basically determines where in life you're born. And along with that concept, sort of the oil that makes the dharmic engine run, is karma. Now most of us in the room have probably heard the word karma before just in casual conversation. What does it mean? It means that if you do something good for somebody else, you get good karmic points. You have good karma. If you do something bad against somebody else, you have bad karma. It's almost like a cosmic bank account. And when you do good stuff, you get money in the bank. And when you do bad stuff, the money does what? Leaves the bank, right? And at the end of your current life, say if you're born into the merchant class, at the end of your current life, if you've got more good karma than bad karma, you have the potential to move up in the caste system. You, at that point, become cosmically, upwardly mobile. Does this make sense so far? And the idea is that when we're born into the caste system, we have certain jobs to do. Uh, perhaps if we were in India and we were born in the untouchables, outcast system, we might be like this gentleman on the screen. For those listening by podcast, it's a man crawling out of the sewers covered in muck. His job would have been to clean the sewers and the latrines. Terrible, horrible job, right? That's a job for an outcast. And then on the other side of the screen, we see a rather stately gentleman who's uh, kneeled in prayer and or meditation on the side of a body of water, and he would have been born in the priestly class. And so where you're born in the caste system is determined for you, not by you. You're born into that particular caste, and then from then on, the question becomes, what do I do with myself? 
And secondarily, where is God? What do I do with myself and where is God? Well, in fact, there are gods in Hinduism, uh, more than one god. Some writers would say that there are 33 gods in Hinduism. There is kind of a Hindu trinity as well. And then other writers would say there are as many as 33 million gods. So to round it down, it's somewhere between 33 and 33 million gods. Okay, you get the picture? But then when you pray to a certain god or pay homage to a certain god or serve a certain god, it is said that that god aids you in getting good karma. So that god becomes a person or becomes a force in your life that propels you forward in that cosmic search to end your life with good karma rather than bad karma. Uh, In the end, you find yourself doing things, and those doings of things get you good karma or bad karma. And in the end, your actions do contribute to whether or not you move in the next life to another caste. But ultimately, that is set for you. Let's take a look at the ultimate outcome. There's a cosmic principle that creates everything. That is over everything. It's called Brahman. Say Brahman. Brahman sets the caste system in place. And Brahman is that which you aspire to achieve by living a good karmic life over and over and over and over. And here's the word for that. It's called moksha. If you live a current life, say in the merchant class, and you get all kinds of good karma and you die, then you could be born in the warrior class next time. And then again, the priestly class next time. But then the ultimate goal after you're in the priestly class is to die with enough good karma in the bank in order to achieve moksha. Moksha is where you join Brahman. Some writers say that you actually kind of fade into Brahman and other writers say that you join Brahman side by side. Other writers say that Brahman is inside you, that a little bit of that cosmic principle is in you already and you simply merge into him, or it, as it were. Now, raise your hand if you're confused. (laughs) Note for the record on the podcast that everyone is raising his or her hand. (laughs) It is a confusing set of rules, but what I want us to really focus on today, guys, is the point of the faith. The point of the faith, and hopefully this will be a connection for us, the point of the faith is to earn enough to be able to advance, to earn enough in life, karmically, to be able to advance. And for you and me, a good connection might be if we ever feel like we're stuck on the treadmill of life, unable to advance, like a job or a relationship or a life with kids or an illness or something that has us stuck in life where we don't feel like we can progress or move, then we have a bit of an inkling of what it might be like to be a Hindu seeking moksha. Now, maybe your only exposure with the Hindu faith is that once you entertain the idea of buying yourself some yoga pants. I'm just saying it's possible. Gentlemen in the room, if you've ever entertained this idea, please keep that to yourself. (laughs) Yoga pants are a cosmic force in the American culture right now. They're a 
fashion wave, aren't they? Where does yoga come from? It comes from Hinduism. Where does karma come from? Hinduism. Where is the idea of being reborn and reborn again come from? Reincarnation comes from Hinduism. The teachings are there, and sometimes we casually entertain them in conversation, don't we? The idea becomes very clearly for us. What does God want us to know about these concepts? How does he respond to ideas like karma and being reborn again in a new life? So we're going to turn and look at the word together for just a moment. This is a scripture in Romans chapter 12 which says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. I'm now putting up an image of Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi was an Indian national who lived in the early to mid-19th century. And if you remember your social studies class, Gandhi was the one who led a, a non-violent resistance movement against the British Empire who ruled over India back in those times. And they were successful in liberating India, but Gandhi insisted that what they did to liberate India was non-violent. He didn't believe in war. In fact, Gandhi even advocated for the rights of untouchables so that they could be released from that label and actually be a part of the caste system like everyone else. Gandhi would have looked on the scripture like this and would have approved of it. He would have said, yes, do good to your fellow person, because in that way you're going to earn what? Good karma. The principles are universal. God has spoken to them from a Christian point of view, and the Hindus would say that the Hindu faith speaks to them as well. What else does the scripture say? Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Gandhi would have looked at this idea and said, yes, two thumbs up. Absolutely, I agree. He might have even been tempted to say amen, which means I agree. Gandhi also believed, very importantly, in the idea of reincarnation. Gandhi once spoke about reincarnation and said, if the theory of reincarnation is true, then I hope to be reborn someday and hug the whole world. Sounds pretty good, right? But notice what he called reincarnation, a theory. Now, what if your soul and my soul, what if our souls were subject to a cosmic theory that had us reborn life after life after life and the movement between my lives was partially dependent upon how I behaved in each life. How long would it take me to get to moksha? Do you know? I don't either. Nor does any Hindu. There's no set time frame. There's no set parameter. There's no standard. All we know is that there's the idea of being born again in the flesh, in carne, in the meat, in the flesh, means being born again in the flesh with no memory of the past and no idea where you are on the achievement ladder toward moksha. So the question becomes for today, in that system of belief, who's in control? In that system of belief, who's in control of ultimately your outcome? 
Now, we could look at that and say, well, in some way, form, or fashion, like the lady on the screen on the human hamster wheel in three-inch heels, which is pretty impressive, like the lady on the screen in the human hamster wheel, to some extent, we determine how fast that treadmill moves, right? But the treadmill has been superimposed upon our lives. We are in a dharmic state of working through karma to achieve moksha. Are you tracking with me so far? And ultimately, the question still becomes and remains, who's in control? Who sets the parameters of life? And who ultimately oversees me leaving that caste system and becoming one with Brahman? Well, if I were a Hindu at this point, it would cause me to pause for a moment and take inventory of my current life. I would begin to question my worth. And we're not talking about self-worth. We're talking about the worth of my current life in the cosmic system. We would also maybe be questioning the meaning of our lives. Because if the meaning of my life is simply to be the cog in a karmic wheel that moves me up the chain toward moksha, then maybe my life today isn't worth that much. If you're listening by podcast, there's a meme on the screen. It's a picture of a bee. And it says, I don't know, man, what if my knees aren't that great? This, of course, is a reference to being the bee's knees, right? But it's the idea that when we enter into a a faith system that doesn't give us any assurance that we can count on and say, this is how things are going to be, then it leaves us questioning our worth. It leaves us questioning how much our lives actually mean. A couple of weeks ago, I got to meet with a gentleman who is, uh, is, who's 85. And as he uh, presumably is approaching the end of his life, he uh, shared with me that it was really important to him that he leave his belongings and his estate to his four children, his grown children, who had a specific physical and some cognitive special needs, all four of them. I was curious about this. And uh, being that he was hard of hearing uh, and and didn't speak very clearly, uh, when he would talk to me, I would write my responses on a pad of paper and then turn the pad around so he could read my questions and responses. So he silently gets up at that moment and goes over to his bookshelf, and he gets out this uh, cardboard piece that has an old newspaper in it. The old newspaper, I can tell the newspaper is old because it's brown. And in fact, it was dated 1969. He very silently, with tears in his eyes, pointed to the picture as if to say, read this. The caption says, two women were killed and four children injured Tuesday night when this car slammed into a tree on Alabama 119. And as the tears started to fall down his face, I realized that his wife was one of the two women. And so I wrote it on the paper. Was that your wife? And turned it. And crying, he just silently nodded. And he was clenching his fist because he didn't want to show me any emotions. He didn't want to show that he still had some kind of of guilt and, and pain and horrible remorse. He said that he hadn't been to communion since 1969. And then it occurred to me, those kids... Those were his kids in the car. 
And when the, the, the police arrived on the scene, he shared uh, the, the story of what they saw, that those kids' broken bodies were all over that scene. And it took 400 days in the hospital for them to heal. His wife died on the scene, along with her mother, who was driving. So in one night, kid's mom and grandmother is gone, and their bodies are broken. All four of the kids did live, and they grew up. They became professionals and worked. All of them had some kind of challenge, physical challenge, cognitive challenge, as a result of the accident. But when the gentleman was showing me this story, he got up from his seat and went back over to the shelf, and he got another picture of this big tree, a big black and white uh, picture of a, a black and white picture of a huge tree in his yard, and it had a grown man standing in front of it, and he put it down in front of me and pointed at it, and I knew what he was saying, that they had planted a tree in their yard the year his wife died, and that this was his grown son. And I asked those questions for confirmation on the sheet, and I turned it around, and sobbing, yes. And he just quietly said to me, some things live. And I, I was struck in my heart in that moment that if there was anybody I was going to see or talk to this week, this is a man who needed to hear the good news that when we die in faith in Jesus Christ, which he still was in, even though he hadn't performed and come to church or communion, when we die in faith in Jesus Christ, we have something to look forward to, do we not? A resurrection is coming. Good news is coming. And in that moment, he needed to hear that good news so badly. For some reason, he hadn't heard it in all those years or hadn't internalized it, hadn't received it as his own. Look at what the scripture says about this. Just as people are destined to die once, the Bible says, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Not to those who perform. Not to those who are good enough. Not to those who score high enough. Not to those who are born enough times in a higher caste. Not to those who are on the treadmill of life, feeling lost and feeling like they need to earn their way out. But to every single soul who waits on the Lord, no matter where we are in life, whether we're cleaning the latrine or preaching from the pulpit, no matter where we are, the good news is for you and for me. When we enter into baptism, we believe and teach that we actually enter into Jesus' death. Did you know that? Baptism in, enters us into Jesus' death. And since Jesus rose from the grave, how many days later? Three days later, right? We also can look forward to resurrection. We can count on it. We can bank on it. It's a fact. It's an assurance where you, know, you don't know how long you're going to live, but you know however long that is, whether it's one more year or a hundred more years. When you close your eyes for the last time, you open them in the presence of God. 
Look at what the scripture says. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Will you say that with me? Death no longer has mastery over him. Now say, death no longer has mastery over me. Death no longer has mastery over me. There is no new life that I must live. Death no longer has mastery over me. Because of Jesus, for you and for me, death no longer reigns over us. In the case of my gentleman friend, his wife was a believer in Jesus. She saw Jesus when she closed her eyes the last time. And one day, they will join each other again in resurrection, as you and I will, which is an assurance to us. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's good news. When I throw around the word karma or joke about reincarnation, those words are meaningless for me because I know that it's a fact that when the day comes, I will rise again as he did. This is the good news that God calls us to share, not only with Hindus, but for those of us who believe in some basic tenets of the Hindu faith. In fact, Jesus would even say that he was born to fulfill prophecy so that he could bring good news to the poor, like the man pictured here, crawling up out of the sewer. You and I, whether we're poor financially or not, at some point in our lives, we're going to be poor spiritually, aren't we? And what does that mean? That means we need to hear good news. Everyone you run into in life who believes that they need to earn their way out of life needs to hear good news. And the good news is Jesus. The good news that is that he is the one who earned what was required in God's sight. Here in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're also going to celebrate the death of Jesus, which sounds weird, doesn't it? But the death of Jesus is what made the resurrection of Jesus possible. And it is also what makes our resurrection possible through faith. We don't have to earn our way out of life. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to be uh, better. We don't have to be more. Jesus is the one who did all that and then lived to tell about it. Jesus is the one who brings assurance when there isn't any in life. So my prayer for all of us today is that we will run into somebody who needs this good news. And we will remember that God has equipped every single one of us to share the good news of Jesus. And what is that good news? That Jesus died, yes. And then he rose again. And that's good news for you and for me. Now and forever. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, thank you so much for giving us good news.
God, forgive me when I start to feel like life is about me and life is about what I can do and what I can produce, how I can be better. God, I'd ask that, that you would just restart me, reboot me in this moment, in your grace, that I may know that you are the one who accomplished all that was needed. I trust you and I love you, God. Not because of my own strength or might, but because of your power. I ask you to come and work through me. Help me remember that my life is precious. There only needs to be one. And that it is purposeful. It is for there, it is there for your use. Now use it, God, I pray. Together we say, Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about our relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.